it's because I believe what we really seek in our lives is a way of feeling, an experience, an environment, a surround that nurtures us, that challenges us, maybe that fulfills us with people and circumstance that feel right to us. And that can be articulated as part of one's intention. Welcome to Insert Human. This is a show that is not for everyone. It's for seekers, people like you, hopefully, who are searching for solutions to your problems, the world's problems, and everything in between. The conversations to come are going to show you how finding the truth of our humanity is the magic key to solving pretty much anything. Between my monologues, my dialogues with brilliant guests, and your good questions, you're going to learn how to insert human into everything, and in doing so, realize a better life and one day a better world. For most of my adult life, I have pondered a fundamental truth, and that is, if you don't know where you're going, how in God's name are you going to get there? And what that has resulted in is a belief in what I call the power of intention. That intentionality in every aspect of our life significantly increases the odds that the outcome will be what we want the outcome to be. And it really does apply to every part of our life as parents, as business people, as friends, as lovers, as partners, as leaders. I really believe it, it all it all starts with and maybe ends with intentionality. And so let's examine that by sort of facet or, or segment of, of our lives. So let's start with parenting. For, for those of you who are parents or plan on being parents, consider this. The vast majority of parents, myself included, never articulate the intention for their children. Sure, they may say, you know, I want Johnny to be happy. I want him to get married one day. I want him to be like financially secure. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about intentionality that captures what you want for Johnny in terms of his skills, his sensibilities, his values, his belief systems, his morality, his ethics. That's intentionality. And when you, even if you say, well, I just want Johnny to be happy, what does happiness actually mean? You know, what, what is underneath that? And so, again, the vast majority of parents, myself included, never actually talk about what, what it is they intend for their children. And the, the miss in that is not just the articulation of the intention, but the corollary, which is the development approach to realize that intention. The point being is if you're not clear on the outcome for Johnny, how do you know whether your development methods and approaches, yours, your partners, your grand, your, your parents, your, your uncles, your aunts, whatever, how do you ensure that what they are doing daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis in terms of pointing your child in the right direction is in fact the right direction and the means are in fact the right means? So intentionality I think in parenting is probably one of the most profound, obvious, and yet under-realized opportunities for society. Because we we know that there are people emerging in the world, coming out of school, coming out of high school, coming out of college, who don't have the necessary clarity, who don't have the necessary skills and sensibilities that we believe they should have and that we believe they need to have to navigate and weather the wacky world that we live in. Intentionality also applies to relationships. 
partners, husband and wife, whatever the construct, there's this implied goal that we have as partners, as committed partners, that is rarely articulated. I mean, probably the, the only time it's articulated sort of is in the marriage vows, assuming that you undertook marriage vowing. But after that moment in time, the vows are rarely revisited and the discussion about what we want for the partnership individually and collectively, what the outcome is that we're after is, is rarely undertaken. And so it's not dissimilar from the parent-child dynamic, the partner-partner dynamic kind of ends up in the same place, which is our actions and behaviors tend to be random and, and a bit of flailing around and this sort of subliminal aspiration that somehow it's all going to end up the way we want it to end up, even though we've never actually defined what that is. Intentionality also applies to academia. I was at Harvard for four years. I was managing director of the Harvard Innovation Lab. So I was, I was really in the belly of the, of the beast. And one of the um, first things that happened for me at Harvard, I'd been there about three months. And I ended up having a cup of coffee with Rakesh Karana, who's the dean of Harvard College. And we were just catching up. He you know, wanted to know about me. I wanted to know a little bit about him. And I, I mentioned the word intentionality, and and he 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 slapped his hand, his his hand on the on his desk and said, you know, that's amazing that you're bringing this up because not three days ago I was in a conversation with senior faculty of Harvard College discussing or asking the question, what is the intention of a Harvard College degree? And I think that's that's both a big miss in higher education and also a big opportunity as we contemplate this sort of next generation of education based on the consequences of COVID, you know, how should higher education improve? And I would argue the first thing it should do is decide on its intention. And I'm really talking about liberal arts. Although I think if you look at the professional degrees, you know, anything from medicine to law to engineering, my guess is the intention of those degrees is a, is a, is a set of functional capacities with not a whole lot of consideration for, call it the human capacities. And jumping back to liberal arts, that's largely about human capacities. And therefore, we should and, in fact, must do a better job of articulating what are the capacities that a child graduating from four years of liberal arts education must have, not just to survive in today's world, but actually to thrive, and not just professionally, but personally as a human. The issue of intention also applies to countries, to cities, to communities. You know, there's so much thrashing around to try to improve things, right? To make things better, or at least that's the implied intent. But there's rare, if little, articulation of what exactly that means. So if you said to the governor of Massachusetts, the state that I reside in, Charlie, his name's Charlie Baker, and he does go by Charlie. Charlie, what is the intention for Massachusetts? I understand you've got some standard metrics, probably, of GDP and economic progress, maybe, and employment, maybe. But what about, what about the culture of Massachusetts? What about the sensibility of Massachusetts, the values of Massachusetts, the way people feel about living in Massachusetts? 
shouldn't those dynamics or dimensions all go into some comprehensive view of what the intention is for our state? And in articulating those outcomes, we can then do a better job of strategizing and planning and implementing programs and policies to move us towards those outcomes. Again, absent knowing where we want to go, how in God's name can we get there? Country level, it's the same issue that what is the intention of the United States? You know, we are dealing with thousands of challenges, thousands of issues, thousands of opportunities. Our, our federal and state governments are flailing around with policies and protocols and procedures and new technologies and blah, blah, blah. But wouldn't it all be clear? Wouldn't it all be more effective if we were agreed on what the outcome was that we were after? I mean, I mean, the funny truth is if I walked up to you at a cocktail party and I said, hey, what's the, what's the intention of the United States or the intention of France or the intention, probably the only country we know who, what the intention is, is China, which I won't comment further on, but what is the intention? And the last view I'll share on this is the intention of you. Arguably, it's the most important intention to have clarity on. What is it that you want? What is it that I want from my life? What is it I seek? What will make me happy? How do I define success? What are the skills and sensibilities that I want to develop in myself so that when I get to the end and I look back, I, I have a, a deep sense of satisfaction, of, of achievement. And very few people, very few people have clear personal intentions. And subsequently, their journey ends up being a bit meandering, a bit all over the place, a bit random. And at some point, they, they get to a place and, like, and say to themselves, this, this isn't quite working for me. In fact, I've had, just coincidentally, over the last 48 hours, I've had four different people reach out to me. One in his 20s, two in their 30s, one in her 50s. One I know very well, happens to be my son. The other three I know a little bit. And they all had the same question for me is, you know, what do I do next? Like where I am in my career is not meaningful to me, is not fulfilling to me. What do I do next? And my terrible answer was really twofold. One is, well, what is your intention? What is it you seek? Not functionally, not from a career standpoint, but from a human standpoint. What kind of life do you want to live? What kind of capacities do you want to have? In my book, This Is It, I talk about this defining one's point as a combination of one's passions plus one's unique competencies, all multiplied by one's desired nature of existence. The reason why desired nature of existence is a multiplier and not an addition it's because I believe what we really seek in our lives is a way of feeling, an experience, an environment, a surround that nurtures us, that challenges us, maybe that fulfills us with people and circumstance that feel right to us. And that can be articulated as part of one's intention, right? You can take out a piece of paper, and I'm a big believer in documentation, both because it's clarifying and it also sets a form of commitment. But you can articulate the aspiration that you have for the kind of existence that you seek. 
way back when, when I was at a crossroads and a little confused about what I wanted to do next, I began writing to myself in a journal, what is it I really want from this environment? What kind of surround do I seek? And ultimately, I realized that what I wanted more than anything was to be but in a creative environment, not professionally, holistically. I wanted a life that was, call it riddled, with my creativity and the creativity of others. It didn't answer the profession question, it answered the human question. The second thing I say to people in terms of the task of finding their way through the jungle, through the woods, to, to a point of clarity, besides working on your intention, I think you have to work on yourself in order to both get clear about what it is you seek, but also to enable what it is you seek to be found. My, again, from my personal experience, getting closer to the truth of me, getting more comfortable with the truth of me, learning to love the truth of me, the dark and the light, gave me the confidence to, to see what it was I really wanted, my desired nature of existence. Secondly, in becoming free of fear and free of vulnerability and free of the need of validation, all derivative of learning to love who I was, I gained an incredible power. I don't mean like power, like materialistic power. I mean power as in human power, attractive power, energy power, capacity power. And the power became a draw to others, to opportunities. You know, positive attracts positive. And so as I began marching through the world with a greater sense of self, a greater sense of confidence, with a bit of clarity about the kind of environment I wanted to create, the desired nature of my existence, I was clear about what I was passionate about. I was pretty clear about my unique competencies. All of a sudden, things started appearing in my path. Things, as in my wife, Kate. You know, I was uh, divorced 20 years ago and single for many years and wasn't actually even seeking to be in a partnership. But Kate would say to you today that she was drawn to me, not because I'm good looking, because I'm not really, but she was drawn to me because of my power and because of my energy and because of, of really sort of the, you know, the, the, what, I was, what I was giving off as a human being. And similarly, on the career front, you know, my aspiration years ago was to become a public speaker, a global speaker. And it all happened to me, but it didn't happen to me because I had some profound structured methodology to become a global speaker. It actually happened because my energy drew, drew opportunity to me. So the task of setting intentions personally, and maybe the task of setting intentions across the board as parents, as educators, as partners, as city leaders, as country leaders, almost necessarily involves looking within, being okay with an honest examination of who we are, what we are, what we love, what we don't love, what we're good at, what we're not good at, and accepting that current state as being all okay, while also recognizing that in order to achieve the intentions that we have set, we, we must evolve that state. But we, we evolve it with courage, we evolve it with confidence, that we will get to the place that we're going to, we're trying to get to. That's my take on power of intention. I think, again, whatever aspect of your life you're trying to make better, parents, partnering, or anything in between, 
I encourage you to, uh, to sit down with a piece of paper, potentially with your partner or somebody else, and really start talking candidly about where it is you're trying to get to, what constitutes success. And once you have that clarity, what you need to do individually to realize it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening today. If you're in search of more opportunities to realize positive change in your life or work, and you find what I have to say helpful, you can always subscribe to my show, check out one of my new salons that are weekly virtual gatherings of like-minded folks. You can read some of my writings or just listen to one of the talks that I've given around the world over the last couple of years. And you can do it all at chriscolbert.com. While you're there, make sure to sign up for my ongoing email updates. When you do, you'll receive a free copy of the first chapter of my about-to-be-published book, Technology is Dead. Again, it's all available at chriscolbert.com. Thanks again for listening today, and I look forward to connecting more in the days ahead.